Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind. That is the mind of Christ. And today, we're going to look to be of that one mind of Christ when it comes to the Mass. From the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24, this is of the Mass. Now, we might have a problem right off the get-go here that we have to define what the Mass is. And there's a lot of uh, American Lutherans, especially, that think the Mass is something that we have done away with, that we don't even use that terminology. But here it is in our Lutheran Confession. So we're going to have to deal with that and then and then figure out, okay, is there a mind of Christ when it comes to the Mass? And so we're going to be doing and looking at that today from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession to help us do that. We have most of our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians with us today. We have layman Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And just in case you hear any noise in the background from me, I am live from my office in beautiful Wine Hill, Illinois, which is also a polling place on this day uh, where we <laughs> vote in our country. And uh, so get out and make sure you vote. Make sure you ex exercise your civic uh, responsibility in that term today. Uh, but uh, if you hear some noise, it's because uh, it's a polling place. However, I'm in a politicking free zone, like I'm not allowed to politic. So you, you have no fear of that happening here on KFUO today. As for the Peters in the studio, I can't speak for them because, well, they're, they're not necessarily in a politicking free zone. But anyway, welcome, brothers. Any opening words on the mass today? I don't want to talk about politics. No, but I do want to talk about the divine service and the mass and how it gets celebrated in Lutheran parishes uh, here in the United States and as Lutherans around the world and through time and all kinds of wonderful things like that. There's kind of politics about the divine service itself. We might there get is. into that a little bit. No, you uh, said you weren't going to get political. <laughs> I, I do want this to be a politics-free zone, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean... I guess even if we understand the nature of that word politics, it comes from the Greek polis, right? The understanding of the city. How do we live in the city? And there is, you know, the whole talk of the city of God, the kingdom of God. And, and, and so when we're talking about this, we are kind of talking about a political thing. How do we live in our life together? And so I, I, I don't know that we can actually be politics free from that understanding. However, there, there is in our, common understanding this this nature of politics that has to do with you know gaining power and authority and that is definitely also a part of what is going on uh, when it comes to this article on the mass and still how we see it play out today when it comes to the divine service but as we always like to do when we're setting up an article and, and I kind of set it up in our setup there um, that uh, we, we have this first hurdle that we have to come over because this is article 24 called of the mass 
So what's the mass? What are we talking about when we talk about this? And, and Peter, uh, Pastor L, you said this, um, uh, you know, when you said, I do want to talk about the divine service um, and the mass. So talk a little more about that. What do you, what do you mean by that? The word mass comes from the Latin word for meal. And so properly speaking, the mass is Holy Communion. And that's great, but it also has a broader meaning of being the divine service, a place where God's gifts of word and sacrament are received. And so it has this idea of God coming and serving his people. And so when we talk about the divine service, it is the place where God comes and speaks and God performs his acts through his word and through his word as it is united with bread and wine uh, and the body and blood of Christ. It reminds me of a wonderful uh, introduction to the, the Lutheran worship hymnal, the blue hymnal, if you like your colors that way. And there it speaks, our Lord speaks and we listen. His word bestows what it says. Faith that is born from what is heard acknowledges the gifts received with eager thankfulness and praise. Music is drawn to this thankfulness and praise, enlarging and elevating the adoration of our gracious giver God. Saying back to him what he has said to us, we repeat what is most true and sure. Most true and sure is his name, which he put upon us with the water of our baptism. We are his. This we acknowledge at the beginning of the divine service. Where his name is, there he is. Before him, we acknowledge that we are sinners and we plead for forgiveness. His forgiveness is given us and we, freed and forgiven, acclaim him as our great and gracious God as we apply to ourselves the words he has used to make himself known to us. The rhythm of our worship is from him to us and then from us back to him. He gives his gifts, and together we receive and extol them. We build one another up as we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Our Lord gives us his body to eat and his blood to drink. Finally, his blessing moves us out into our calling, where his gifts have their fruition. And the key line here that I really like and wanted to think about today is that rhythm of worship that God speaks to us, and we answer using the words that he has given us in scripture. Just like a child echoes back to their parents the words that they've heard from their parents, so also the church, the children of God, hear our gracious Father's words and we echo back to him what he has said in scripture. I think that's an excellent setup for what we're talking about with the mass. And, and, and you were reading from the, the description that comes from the Lutheran worship, uh, the light blue hymnal that uh, was formerly in use in our church, although now we use the Lutheran service book. And I would also commend the, from the introduction of that, also an excellent setup of what goes on. And I think connects in with the way you describe the Latin word, what mass means. It means a meal, right? And uh, you talked about our Lord who serves us. And, and I like this from the introduction to the Lutheran service book. It says, our Lord is the Lord who serves. 
Jesus Christ came into the flesh not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then later he says, uh, the introduction says, our Lord serves us today through his holy word and sacraments. And then it picks up a lot on that same sort of rhythm of our worship uh, that uh, the, the Lutheran worship also uses that you read from there. But I like this this understanding of this is the meal that we gather around. It's Christ's very body and blood and he comes to serve us. And so when I try to boil this down for the sake of the simple one, when we talk about the mass, um, you know, that I always like to say mass just simply means service with Holy Communion, right? Uh, it, it's it's more than just the prayer offices uh, where we gather together around God's word. It's it's uh, where we gather around a meal. And that meal is the, the meal that our Lord serves us with, with his very body and blood. And I, I think one of the hurdles that we have coming over here and picking up on this rhythm language and so forth as well um, is is that uh, we, we think that we've done away with this sort of language in our church. Oh, that was a Catholic thing and we don't use it anymore. Um, but we certainly do still use it out there in our culture. I mean, it's Christ's Mass. Christmas is a combination of those two words, right? Uh, Christ's Mass, his, his serving us uh which is exactly what he came to earth for at Christmas for. And so we still definitely do use this. Uh, Layman Slayton. Yeah, I think I, I like how we've begun setting this up as we're defining what this church service is. Because ultimately that's that's kind of what we're talking about here is when you go to church on Sunday, because that's when we traditionally worship, what goes on? What are you doing? And so we're discussing that aspect. Now this article goes into some pretty detailed descriptions of other things. It's not necessarily intended to be, here is the be-all and end-all of what you do on Sunday. That's that's not what this article is for, but it is helpful for us as we're getting into it to actually discuss some of that. And I think one of the things that's going to come out very strongly in this article is the idea that the Mass, as the the adversaries use it, consider it to be a work, that, that it is something you do uh, for God. And it's helpful for us to remember that in American Christianity today, that actually that view is actually very prevalent. Uh, I would say even within LCMS circles, it's very not not very prevalent, but but it does pop up where there's this idea that I go to church on Sunday to worship God, and that I am offering God my worship and or my my prayers that I'm that I'm going here to to give something to God, and that the point of church is for me to give something to God, whether it's my service, my worship, my attention, uh, whatever it is, it's helpful for us as we're going through this article to remember this view of the Mass or of the church service still does exist today. And so there are things in here that we can learn from it. This is not, even though we're kind of in you know the end of the, the articles where they seem to be a little further away from our current context, there are quite a few things in this one where it's like, oh, we we still have that going on. That's that error still exists within our own churches, even that we think we go to church to give God something because he needs something from us uh, or we need to give him something in order to earn his approval or favor or something of that nature. I think you're dead on target here on picking up on the direction and and even what we're talking about in setting up what is the mass and, and, and that ties right into the direction here because 
one of the issues that we will see as far as what the article is concerned with, and we mentioned this with the last several articles, while these are you know, considered the abuses in the church, they're not kind of the main thing that the Reformation is about. But since we're defending what, we're, what we believe, teach, and confess, and then defending that you know, statement from the Augsburg Confession, that's what apology is, defense of. Since, since we're defending what we believe, teach, and confess, it is all hinged together on that very long article, Article 4, on justification. And understanding the direction is key when we talk about the Mass, because it's key when, it, when we talk about justification. It is Christ who justifies us. It is God to us in doing the work, not us to God. And I think you're dead on target that we still struggle with this in American Christianity, that we go to church to give God our prayers, our praise, our, our thanksgiving, you know, and, and we view that direction of us to God. Well, if, that, if that's the direction then we don't have a right understanding of the mass flowing forth from our justification, which is what they're very much centered on here. And, and I think you you did a helpful setup for us there. Uh, Pastor Hill, did I see that you wanted to jump in there? Sure, just a little bit. In the 16th century, this was something where the Lutherans were speaking against two people who thought they disagreed with each other, but were making really the same argument. And so there are the Roman Catholics saying that the Mass, going to church, was a work, something that they did. They went to Mass to bring God something. You also have the other Reformers who were going who were experiencing their own Reformation around the same time, and they would say the same thing. It looked really, really different, but the the move of we're going to church to bring God something was the same on both sides. And so the Lutherans are confessing, well, we're different than the Roman Catholics, and we're different from the other Protestants. Here, let us tell you and defend what we believe. Well said. Shall we jump into the article, or was there anything else in setup that you guys uh, wanted to... Let's get going. Let's go with it. All right, Layman Slayton, I'll have you uh, go ahead and read for us there. All right. I'm working on a cold, so my bass voice is very nice this week. At the outset, this is on page 220. We are in, uh, in the apology. At the outset, we must again make this preliminary statement. We do not abolish the Mass, but religiously keep and defend it. Masses are celebrated among us every Lord's Day and on the other festivals. The sacrament is offered to those who wish to use it after they have been examined and absolved. And the usual public ceremonies are observed, the series of lessons, of prayers, vestments, and other such things. The adversaries have a long speech about the use of Latin in the Mass. In this speech, they joke about how it benefits an unlearned hearer to hear, in the faith of the Church, a Mass that he does not understand. They clearly imagine that the mere work of hearing is a service that it benefits without being understood. We are unwilling to rebelliously pursue these things, but we leave them to the judgment of the reader. We mention them only for the purpose of stating, in passing, that we keep also the Latin lessons and prayers. However, ceremonies should be celebrated to teach people scripture, that those admonished by the word may conceive faith and godly fear and may also pray. This is the intent of ceremonies. So, we keep the Latin language to aid those who are learning and understand Latin. We mix with it German hymns so that the people also may have something to learn, and by which faith and godly fear may be produced. This custom has always existed in the churches. 
some more frequently and others more rarely introduced german hymns into the service yet almost everywhere the people sang something in their own tongue however it has never been written or presented that people benefit from hearing lessons they cannot understand or that ceremonies benefit not because they teach or admonish but by the outward act ex opere operato because they are performed that way or are looked upon away with such pharisaic opinions the fact that we hold only public or common mass is no offense against the church catholic for even today private masses are not held in the greek churches there is only a public mass and that on the lord's day and festivals in the monasteries daily mass is held but this is only public these are the traces of former customs before gregory no ancient writer mentions private masses we no longer recognize how they got started clearly after the begging monks came to power mostly from false opinions and because of financial gain private masses increased to the point that for a long time all good people desired to set some limit on private masses st francis wished to correct this matter so he decided that each fraternity should be content with a single daily common mass later this was changed either by superstition or for the sake of financial gain so where it is advantageous to them they themselves change the institution of the fathers later they cite the father's authorities against us epiphanius writes that an asia communion was celebrated three times a week and that there were no daily masses indeed he says that this custom was handed down from the apostles for he says assemblies for communion were set up by the apostles to be held on the fourth day on the evening of the sabbath and on the lord's day that's probably far enough for now what do you think yeah there's a whole a lot, lot in there. <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of got all the abuses. Boom, right there. Right. And uh, it's typical for what they're doing. It's kind of setting up, okay, this is, again, what we have said, um, where they refute us. And and yet, no, we, we still hold our position here. And then we, we go on uh, for several pages as to why we still hold that position. Um, and and uh, we'll continue to go through that. But I, I think kind of my basic summary of the first section of that, I, I'd say at least through uh, paragraph five there that you were reading uh, and you went through paragraph eight. Um, uh, folks listening uh, who don't who aren't following along can't necessarily see the paragraph numbers. Uh, so about halfway through what you read there, my basic summary of that is uh, the mass is not a spectator sport right but what had happened at the time of the reformation was that it had become a spectator sport now i would contend that we are still in danger of this at still at, at some points today that you know just coming and and being in the pew and going through the motions uh of the liturgy without considering what it is doing, what it is teaching about our faith and growing deeper in the knowledge of our faith and of Scripture by what we're doing, uh, we still kind of have that danger today where we, we we view it as a spectator sport. But you, you talked about earlier on, too, um, in our setup of this, that, you know, what wh when we understand the Mass, what is it that we're coming together to participate in? I remember you used those words, Levin Slayton, mm -hmm. uh, that we participate in it. And I think that that's a key distinction right away for us in what's going on with the Mass. Pastor L. Or uh, Levin Slayton, sorry, <laughs> you go. I was, I was going to say, I mean, this, right before, in paragraph four, at the beginning of that, it really... If, if we're trying to, as we go through all of these different issues, I think really the focus is in this right here. Those admonished by the word may conceive faith and godly fear and may also pray. <coughs> Excuse me. That's, that's what we've got 
That's what we're participating in. That church, this mass, this divine service, exists to conceive faith and godly fear. Yes. Fully agreed. Yeah. And <laughs> I keep coughing right <laughs> when I got to talk. you hit your cough button. Yeah, you fantastic. Sorry you're suffering with that cold there. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, yeah, I think you're dead on target here in picking up. You know, that is a key phrase there, um, that uh, those admonished by the word may conceive faith and a godly fear and may also pray. And I love also what's in the parentheses there. This is the intent of ceremonies, right? This yeah. is why we have the ceremony that we have. It, it's to teach us something about our faith uh, that we are participating in. I often kind of, you know, make this point when, when it comes up to like the uh, debate about, you know, should we have children's messages and things like that in our church services? And I always say, we have a great children's message already. It happens every single Sunday. It's called the liturgy itself, right? Now, we do need to kind of teach how you interact with that, and there is a place for that, um, that we do that teaching so that they are taught by this this uh, thing that they are participating in. Um, but that that is a main point of the Lutherans is, yeah, this should be in the language of the people uh, so that they understand and can participate. And, and it's not just a spectator sport. Well, and we've what we've got going on here is this directional thing as well. This this definition helps us understand once again, we're not there to give God something we are here receiving from Christ himself. I mean, that's all of this proceeds from Christ and him instituting the church and establishing it so that it can give himself to us. This is all about forgiveness of sins. We see that right here. The word conceiving faith and godly fear. That That is all about having your sins forgiven and living in that reality. That's something you receive. So you can't go to church to give God something if the point of church is conceiving faith and godly fear. You you can't conceive faith and godly fear. That's something that's given to you. Yeah, it's all about that article of justification again. Pastor L. I think that it's really helpful that it talks here about all of the usual public ceremonies are retained and observed that we use readings that follow a lesson. We follow the church here. And there's a series of prayers that get used and vestments and so on. But thinking about it, I guess it does lead me always to the question, is this something that they were describing in the 1500s? Or is this something that is binding on us as Lutherans today? Hmm. That is a deep question, one that is hotly debated well, within our own synod, within the church at large on earth, right? And uh, on I mean, many, my, uh, it's, it's the use of the word binding that I think is troublesome to me. Um, because we, we don't bind each other with ceremonies. Instead, we, we look at this as, well, are we conceiving faith and godly fear by what we're doing? And, and we've got a time-tested ceremony that we've been following for a while that seems to do that. So it's it's very difficult if we're going to start talking about binding, which is then requiring and when it's the divine service, this is a gospel thing. Okay. Or, or let me re-ask the question then. Yeah. Is this a descriptive passage of text describing something yeah. or is it prescriptive telling us how it's supposed to be? 
Yeah, because and, and I think that that's a better way to understand that question. And, and I want to come back to that. But I, I do want to pick up on this binding word. I actually do want to use that word uh, when it comes to the mass and the liturgy, because it binds us together as the church on earth. The way that we worship, and kind of my classic example for that is, is uh, well, Pastor Ill, you you are were also in southern India at one point, I think a year or so uh, before I was, and uh, and I I remember when I was over there, this was back in two thousand five. Um, I went to a Lutheran congregation there, and they were worshiping in another language that I did not understand. However, they were using the liturgy. They were they were celebrating the mass in exactly the same form that I was used to in my English formation here in the United States, right? You know, uh, the way that I I participate in the liturgy here. And I remember that it, this binding together of the church on earth, I felt great unity, even though I didn't understand their language. I knew what was going on, and I was still participating in the service. Faith was still at work there, uh, mainly because the power of God who serves us in that liturgy, right? But also because it does bind us together that we have the same practice of it, um, no matter where we're at. Pastor L. I also learned that they chant a whole lot faster in Tamil than they do in English. <laughs> yes, I thought we do. chanted fast. Holy smokes. It's okay. They make up for it with an hour-long sermon, right? Not, <laughs> that, is not that only in Africa? Long. Oh, we get them in Africa. They're that long. It's great. But it, well, was, and, it was fabulous being united with brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that we're coming up on our break, but I think the other thing that's really helpful about this is the liturgy, the orders of the prayers, the Bible songs that we get to sing, the canticles, are all drawn from Scripture. We get to sing with the angels from Christmas Eve. We get to pray out with the with the beggars, Lord, have mercy on us. We get to cry out with Peter, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? We we stand in the throne room of heaven and we cry, holy, holy, holy. We stand in the temple with Simeon and we say, Lord, now your servant can go in peace because your word has been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. We have seen you in your incarnation because the liturgy as we have it collected, all of these ceremonies and rituals and prayers and schedule of readings all confesses Christ. And we don't do this because we have to. I think going back to the binding mm -hmm. question, nowhere in Scripture does it say the canticles of the divine service or the mass should be. But instead, we say, hey, we get to cry out with the saints who went before us and with the angels and the archangels. And this is a really good thing. Well, and actually, as as we reflect on uh, what we observed this past Sunday and, and most of our congregations, All Saints Day and was observed last week, right? Um, we have that picture of the heavenly throne room of every nation, tribe, and language, it says, right? This worship is going on in heaven. And with, with angels, archangels, and that whole company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name. We have that in the preface of, of the, the Lord's Supper there. And this is exactly what uh, is going on when we gather together in this liturgy that it binds us together with the church that is worshiping in heaven and we get to participate in that for but a moment and that's really quite a beautiful thing but then 
after the break, I do want to hit, you know, uh, this this nature of is it prescribed? Is it forced upon us this this form then while it does bind us together? Um, you know, is it binding upon us to do that? And we'll talk about that right after this break. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. On November 6, 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th President of the United States, five months before the beginning of the Civil War. Nearing the end of a bloody Civil War, Abraham Lincoln delivered his second inaugural address on March 4, 1865, quoting from the Gospels and Psalm 19. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The Almighty has his own purposes. Fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated April 14, 1865, one month before the Civil War ended. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians. 
Layman, Peter Slayton, Pastor Peter Ill, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith, who is coming to you from below a polling place. So I apologize for any background noise of the voters getting out there to vote. And don't you forget to get out and vote on this election day as well. But getting back to our topic at hand, we are working through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24 of the Mass. And we were talking just before the break about uh, a, a question that Pastor Ill brought up that I think is very a pertinent question uh, as we wrestle through uh, this article here and, and its implications. Are, are we simply describing what was present at the time of the Reformation when it comes to how the Mass is celebrated among us, or is it prescriptive, or as he used the term binding, uh, is it binding upon us for how we are to observe the Mass in our Lutheran churches still today? And this is a much-debated topic and I think a very helpful discussion for us. And we talked uh, just before the break exactly about how it does bind us together in unity in the church. And, and one of the other things that I wanted to mention, but we were running up on that break, was uh, I, I recognize this. If you go into any like uh, fast food place that is worldwide or or even you know nationwide and things like that, they recognize the importance of this binding unity and that they are very intentional in their stores to tr- create a common experience so that you can walk into any McDonald's, any Starbucks, any you name it kind of uh, restaurant or place out there, and you know how to order. You know how to uh, what to expect and what to get there. Uh, that kind of quality uh, control is present there, uh, so that you you know how to participate in the services that they have offered. And this is present for us in the church as well. And so it does bind us together in unity. But then we have to wrestle with okay, so what are those things um, that uh, we are to hold? And uh, I want us to continue wrestling with this binding question. And right before the break, I mentioned specifically about how recognizing with all saints, what we have is this picture of the worship that's going on in heaven. And what we confess in our Lutheran liturgy is that for a moment in time, we get to join in on that uh, worship, that heavenly worship, Uh, you know, kind of the barriers between heaven and earth fade away and we are actually there in that throne room worshiping with the whole company of heaven in that heavenly worship for me i guess i want to answer your question now after a bit more setup there uh, <laughs> but i want to i want to try and answer your question i think it is binding on us to see what does scripture have to say about the nature of our worship and how the the people of god worship. And so I think it is important for us to take a look at things like in Revelation. How are the saints worshiping in heaven? If we actually believe this reality, maybe you don't. I don't I don't know. Um but uh, I I would contend that as Lutherans we do believe this reality that we are actually joining the heavenly worship. So what does that heavenly worship look like? And if we're joining it, our worship should look like that and reflect that some. I also use also the uh, the passage from Colossians that uh, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? And so I often use, you know, this is why we tend to encourage the chanting of psalms and the singing of hymns and things of that nature in our congregations is because this is a part of the biblical 
picture of worship. We can also connect to the Old Testament, which our liturgy actually does all the way, go all the way back to the temple worship, uh, the synagogue worship even more directly. And we see those sorts of connections playing out in how we do the liturgy. And so I think sometimes we just kind of say, well, there are no biblical, um, you know, sort of directions for us in how the liturgy is to be done. And and we just kind of stop there. But I think we sell short that there are actually biblical things that discuss what the nature of worship is for the God, the people of God, and that we should look to incorporate that. And I think our liturgical Lutheran congregations do maintain that biblical focus uh, on those things. Now I've talked for a while, so I'll let one of the Peters talk here. I think that to answer that prescriptive descriptive question we can go back to it's actually both we end up both describing what was happening in the 16th century and also saying today still we retain these orders of readings what we call the the lectionary in the church year we retain the prayers we retain these these bible songs these canticles and we use them because quite honestly how are you going to improve on the life of Jesus that is walked through every year in the church year? How are we going to improve on the songs of the saints and the angels? How are we going to improve on the book of Psalms? The short answer is we can't. We have the inspired and inerrant word of scripture that teaches us about Jesus. And so we use the liturgy not as a goal in itself, and we don't go to church for the liturgy. We go to church for Jesus. What brings us to Jesus? The liturgy does. I think that's where my discomfort with saying it's prescriptive or binding actually comes from. Because my concern is that if we start from that point, if if that's how we're having this discussion, if that's how we're approaching this, this article um, of the apology... We're not starting with Jesus to begin with, and that's always going to be problematic because if we start with, this is the right way to worship, these are the correct ceremonies that you must do, it is extremely easy and doesn't take very long before we're now saying, and if you don't do this, you're not a Lutheran, if you don't do this, you're not a Christian, or you get into the silly discussions about, well, which parts can I keep and which parts do I have to get rid of and how much can I change this and still be a faithful Lutheran? And and all of those discussions that can and do happen, and anybody can go into any Lutheran Facebook group or the LCMS Facebook page, and you will see these very discussions happening. And what's lost in all of them is, Okay, how how is our worship actually centered on Christ? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? And let's let's start from that perspective about what that's kind of why I focused on this may conceive faith and godly fear. Okay, that that's what we're trying to do. We're actually trying to proclaim Christ and have him forgive our sins in this context, if I can phrase it in that way. And and when we start with and so I would actually start with, well, let's start with a descriptive. Um, I'm not saying it's definitely not prescriptive or that it might not be binding. And frankly, I'm not, well, I'm not, I'm not, not going to finish that sentence, but because <laughs> I don't want to go there yet. But, but that's my concern is like, okay, if that's our starting point, well, that's why we have all the debates that rage and never end because you can't actually get to Jesus from that point. You have to actually start with Christ and say, let's hold these other things loosely, but I believe 
when you start with Christ and actually walk it all the way through, you'll end up with all of these things. Because, well, that's why the church has had them for so long, is because they actually do confess Christ. They actually do deliver Christ to you. It is actually all about him. And that's why they've lasted so long and aren't simply fads that come and go within the life of the church. And I believe that because of what I believe about who Jesus is. I don't believe what I believe about Jesus because of the divine service. I believe what I believe about the divine service because of what I believe about Jesus. When I was a younger man, my and I was on my vicarage working with a pastor, I, I like the liturgy uh, in part because, well, not in part, because it shows me Jesus. But occasionally my vicarage supervisor would come to me and he would say, Vicar, you know what the difference is between a liturgist and a terrorist? Uh-oh. You can negotiate with a terrorist. <laughs> and there's this idea for uh, liturgical purity that, well, it's it's somewhat non-negotiable. And I, I fully understand where my, where my supervisor was coming from, and he was completely right in uh, ribbing me a bit. But with that said, we aren't here to enforce rules of the liturgy because the liturgy needs protecting or defending. We're here to pray in this way to comfort troubled consciences and to be consoled by the word of God as it comes to us in preaching and in the sacraments as a gift. And so we don't defend the liturgy. We simply say, this is a great way to receive the gifts of God. It comes to us from Scripture, so let's use it. Yeah, the, the reason I don't go for innovations in worship practice and, and other ways of doing things is because in every case that I have experienced and that I have seen, the changes come because the focus is no longer on Christ, who he is, what he's done, and proclaiming that to the congregation. The focus has shifted, maybe ever so slightly, to some other reason why this change has to happen. That's the reason I don't go for other innovations. Not because, well, that's not part of the liturgy. We don't do that. It's like, no, that, that's not my reason at all. We've, we've I, changed I, the liturgy over time. There have been a lot of things that have changed about it. Why I, I have those I'm... changes stuck? Sorry. I, now I, I I'll stop talking. talking. Go. <laughs> all right. Shut up. No, uh, no. What, what you guys are talking about is really helpful. I, I want to push back a little bit, though, because at least in my interactions, I have not understood and those who differ in terms of how we celebrate the mass uh, and, or even define the mass, you know, wh whatever kind of wording we use for that, whether we call it worship, divine service, things like that. I haven't found um, that that there are folks who are getting away from Jesus as being our different uh, starting place. I do think that we have a differing understanding of the direction again. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it, it tends, my experience tends to be, it comes out more in, you know, how do we live this faith that we have of Jesus and, and, and what he has done? And, and sometimes that plays out in a, well, that means that I have to give him all my praise and glory and how I live my life, right? And, and, and that worship reflects that. Um, whereas Lutherans say, no, we celebrate Jesus who still comes to us, right, and, and gives 
to us his word and his sacrament. Uh, so the direction thing is still messed up there in the interactions that I have had. But I don't think that the starting place is a differing thing from Jesus. Well, but that's part and of my so, point. If, if you've changed the direction thing, you're actually no longer focusing on Christ. I mean, it, that we, we might not all say that, and we might not necessarily agree with that, but I think if we work it through, you'll realize, oh, the reason my direction changed, why I now think I have to offer something or it goes in the other direction, is because I've actually changed something in what I believe about Christ himself. So I don't know if anybody, if they would actually express it that way, but I think that's what actually has happened. Yeah, I... I I, again, I, I think maybe we're 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 very close here in what we're describing. Sure. Um, but but I I think there's just maybe I'm understanding a little different, and and maybe trying to be a little more charitable and saying that I think they are under, starting with Jesus, and and that's kind of what I was I was hearing initially in yours is that they're not starting with Jesus. Sure. I think they are. I think it's more of a nature like when the disciples come to Jesus, right, and they say, you know, John taught his disciples how to pray, teach us. How to pray, and that's essentially what we're we're discussing here, right? You know, how does Scripture teach us to pray, right? And we should consider those things, as I set up earlier, from biblical perspective. How are we to pray? And and that's where I think they start with Jesus, but they misunderstand how Jesus acts, right? And so I, I get what you're saying there, and that they change Jesus. Um, but yeah, the, I, I just I think it's a subtle kind of thing where they they change the direction of Jesus while they still contend that they are starting with Jesus and they're starting with faith in Jesus, which comes as a gift. But then they they really just don't understand the scriptural prescriptions of how we pray. Then, well, as as my own conciliatory response to that, I would say. The same holds true for those of us who would promote the liturgy, because really the the problem is our own concupiscence, our own sinful nature that causes us to want to shift the focus to us in some way. And so e even those of us who would promote holding to the historic liturgy or, or prefer that, uh, we, we've got the same problem where we can hold to it for reasons other than pointing to Christ. So we're, we're not immune the liturgy does not make you immune to that. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. And and I think that's the connected issue yeah. here of that w we set up earlier, too. It's not a spectator sport. Whichever side you fall off on of we maintain the historical traditions and ceremonies or we, we, we come up with more contemporary, modern uh, ceremonies and traditions, uh, whatever side of that spectrum you're on, if you're understanding it as a spectator sport or something that you offer or, or you, you get that wrong, then yes, you are not understanding the biblical prescriptions of what Scripture says, the nature of prayer is mm -hmm. and and again i take us back to the lord's prayer of jesus himself he said they say teach us how to pray and then he teaches them and if you notice the lord's prayer it's all about this is your kingdom and i desire to live rightly in it it's god's kingdom which comes to us right pastor L. my true confession is i'm an idolater and i am somebody who loves to find anything other than jesus to focus on I can focus on myself, I can focus on the church, and I can place my focus and my drive and my interest into the church looking the way that I think it should. I can put my focus into the liturgy, uh, and there's a number of places that I can put that. 
And for me, this comes down to be a law and gospel question. If I do the liturgy, because that's the best the best place to worship God, I've already changed the direction. Or if I say, I do it this way because I like the tradition, well then, I've made it about me and what I want. But here we have a gift from God. We have the gift of the Holy Scriptures, the gift of the preaching of the Word, the gift of the Lord's Supper. Here we get to receive those things. That's a gospel thing. And so instead of inserting myself and saying, no, this gift of the divine service is all about what I want it to be, I get to let it be what God says that it is. And I get to be there as a recipient served by God. And I get to receive the gospel, uh, and I desperately need it because I am under the law, and I am somebody who, left to myself, left to my own sinful nature and desires, will come up with all kinds of idolatry, but the divine service, Christ himself, breaks me out of my idolatry and my sinfulness. And and this this conversation could go on and and probably will for weeks as we work our <laughs> way through this lengthy article. Um, but I I think there's so many things to talk about when it comes here. And and, and I think you you voice what's true of all of us. We are as Luther says, our hearts are idol factories, right? And mm-hmm. so we we constantly live in this this pattern of. Um, recognizing that confessing that and and in repentance living in faith and trust in Christ and so we we constantly receive that one of the things that i think also then plays in here too um so so one of the common things that gets said in this debate about how we celebrate the mass here i'm going to highlight from paragraph four this line we mix with it german hymns so that the people also may have something to learn by which faith and godly fear may be produced this custom has always existed in the churches some more frequently others more rarely introduced german hymns into the service and so here um, the the case is sometimes made. See, there are innovations that even the Lutherans do, even while they maintain the customs, right? Even while they maintain the ceremonies and the traditions, they do innovate here. And, and that's really all that we're trying to do in our innovations is that we're just trying to do something in the language of our people today that they can understand because they don't understand all that churchy language, pastor, right? And so, you know, th- this you know, flowing forth from we, 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 we've talked about the starting place and, and we're, we've got the direction, but now we kind of have the next thing to wrestle with here, right? Um, so, so how do innovations play in? How, how are the Lutherans innovating here? What is the right place of innovation? Uh, all sorts of those, uh, uh, things tied in with this innovation that they are talking about. Yes, we did bring things into the liturgy and how we celebrate, but yet we maintain the Mass. Pastor L. The order of service that we use has never been stagnant, and it's never stayed the same. It's kind of like an accordion. I've heard uh, Thy Strong Word host, Pastor Whedon, talk this way. There are times in church history where the accordion stretches out and we add more and more things and we innovate and we innovate and there's a lot of additions into the order of the divine service. And then there are periods in the divine service when, well, the accordion gets squeezed back together again and we remove some of those innovations, but the core of it, the Bible songs, the hearing of the word, the prayers, the receiving the Lord's Supper is all maintained. And so it it comes and goes. 
As we do that, there's a time and a place to say, hey, we need to make sure that this is doing, just like we said before, uh, that it is comforting and consoling Christians, that it is speaking the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, not in a way that becomes uh, ex opere operato, where by the doing of the work, you've done a good thing. No, the divine service isn't magic. We simply get to hear and receive the gifts of God. And to hear and receive the gifts of God, it's important to understand what's going on around us. Most of these innovations have to do with things like making sure that we know the words. Now, I've got a point of trivia since you brought up magic. Okay. So are you guys, I don't know if we've talked about where the phrase hocus pocus comes from. Oh, yeah. Have, have oh, we, thought, have we yeah, brought that up definitely. on here? Yeah. Many, oh. many times. Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it comes from the words of institution yes. said in the Latin. In and the Latin mast. Right. Hoc est but, corpus meum, which, you know, these ignorant Germans didn't understand what that was. And they heard hocus pocus. And it went from bread and wine to magic. Now Body it's and Jesus. Blood. Body and blood. Yeah. Yep. And thus you have the phrase hocus pocus for magic. There it is. Well, I had to that say was, it since I brought it up because, yeah. I mean, maybe that, somebody that, didn't know it. <laughs> that, that was the days before uh, sound systems, and it was hard to hear in the back more than anything, right? And, or and it was people teaching. who didn't know Latin. I mean, it's as simple as you have a whole pot congregation of people who actually don't speak Latin, and that's what's being said. It's like, I don't know what's going on. All I understood was hocus pocus. And you might but, even but actually, a priest who didn't know Latin, too. Ooh, yeah. Right, but actually, though, it was teaching exactly what they wanted to teach because that is their teaching i i think we covered this actually that kind in the of sacraments. is the teaching so that's why i say we brought it up oh okay right uh, uh, yeah i think maybe Pat, i was uh, layman slayton you were on and we talked about this with uh with uh pastor apple he was on that week when we were covering uh the the lord's supper uh, a couple articles ago or something like that maybe not i don't uh, know go back and listen to the archives yeah, okay regardless um but i think you bring up a helpful point but Actually, I would say that it is teaching them their their doctrine of faith. And so it was accomplishing what they wanted, even if they didn't understand um, the, the Latin language, right? It was still sure. teaching what they wanted to convey. Um, yeah, and, and, and I agree with everything you guys said, too. But to bring us back to the discussion at hand, I also wanted to, to, to say we always want to consider, too, um, in this equation, how how does it unite us with the whole church on earth? And I'll just talk about my own pastoral practice. Sometimes there are things that I can do and innovate that would help my people understand the gospel better. But I'm hesitant to introduce it and make it a part of the liturgy for the sake of my people who travel about and worship in other Lutheran congregations as they travel, right? Uh, or they maybe move for job purposes and things like that. And I don't want it to be a stumbling block for seeing the unity that we maintain in the whole church on earth. And so, you know, that plays into this innovation discussion as well of how have the people of God always worship. And that's kind of where I started a while back too of, you know, this does play in. What does scripture say about the nature of how people the people of God of worship. What does history say about the nature of how people, uh, the people of God have worshiped? What is the nature of what's going on in heaven as far as worship? And so I think that that plays into this discussion as well. Uh, coming up here towards the end of the show, I just want to give uh, a chance to our uh, uh, to uh, co-hosts there uh, to have any closing thoughts. 
we get to hear and receive regularly the Word of God. And so as we talk about the Mass and the meal and the Lord's Supper, we use these human things because our Lord Jesus Christ took on flesh and came to us directly and physically. As he did that, he continues to come to us in words that we understand, in rituals and in actions and in ceremonies and reading schedules and all kinds of ways that we hear his word and rejoice in his gifts, and we get to repeat back to him the words that he first spoke to us in Scripture. What a gift that is. As as we get into this discussion, as we continue this, the, the thing we need to keep in mind is that this is all about Christ. The, the Mass, the Divine Service, is all about Christ coming to us and forgiving our sins. And in any discussion we have about it, that needs to be at the forefront. Absolutely. It's all about Christ. That's what this show is, being of that mind of Christ. Thanks for stopping by today, and until next time, keep confessing, church.